0: Good morning! How's everybody doing? I just want to say welcome to everybody this morning for being here at church. And I love Sunday mornings because we get to come together as a family and worship God. And there's something powerful about getting together with family and spending time together and just pursuing the one who created us and the reason we're all here. Holy Spirit, we invite you in have your way in this place this morning god we give you permission to go where you want to go and to speak to us how you want to speak and god i say anything in our week that's in the way god we push it out of the way right now and we open our hearts to you
1: how many believe that he's the god who will make a way this is the god we serve this morning i don't know how you walked in that door maybe with some stuff on your heart, maybe with some frustration, maybe with some hurt or pain, but the God we serve is the God who will make a way. And so this morning, we invite all of you, whether it's your first time here with us, just to come and worship our God, because the God we serve will make a way no matter what. So this morning, as we worship Him, as we celebrate His name, it's because He's already made a way for many of us. And so this morning, Father God, right now, we come and say, we know you are the God who can make a way. And so this morning, God, we will give you all of our worship because you are a good, good God. So this morning, we welcome all of you just to come and worship with us. So I hear God saying that his
2: deliverance isn't something that happens like to refugees where, okay, I'm here, I've got nothing, and now do God to me. His deliverance is the same deliverance that he gave to Gideon. Where he spoke to him and said, rise up, mighty warrior. Rise up, brave one. And this is what he's declaring over us, that he raises us up. We're not refugees. We're not helpless, wandering, aimless, useless, powerless. He's speaking words over us to raise us up, to make us more than conquerors. And so his word to us right now is rise up. Rise up, mighty man of war. Rise up, woman of God. Rise up priest of the Most High. Rise up, worshipers. Rise up, priest in my household. Rise up, mighty ones. And like Ken was just praying, the only step that's in between refugee and mighty is I can't see you yet, God. And so in Jesus' name, Father, we're asking that an opening of eyes would take place, that you would unveil the glory of God, that you would tear off The things that have got in the way, the fear, the worry, the wonder, the doubt, the hesitance, all these things that have said, where is the Lord? God, we're asking in Jesus' name, open the eyes of our hearts. Let us see the glory of the God of Israel. Let us see the wonder, the beauty, the majesty, the might, the dominion, the power of the Word of God, the glory and the splendor of the Spirit moving in our midst. In Jesus' name, Speak to us. Raise us up, God. And we ask you, God, call to mind the things that have been spoken over us. Call to mind the prophetic words. Call to mind the things that you've told us about who we are. In Jesus' name, rise,
1: rise, 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 rise. You know, putting our hope in somebody can be a tough thing to do. It's a scary thing to do at times, in fact. But I can tell you something. When I finally put my hope in Jesus at 17 years old, I can honestly say that's when it changed. And I know it. And there are many right now standing in this room that they know that when when they put their hope in Jesus Christ, that's when it changed. I can tell you he is not going to fail you. That's not who he is. He is the God who is going to reach his hand out and help you. So, Father God, right now, today, at this moment in time, we choose to say we trust you. We trust you, Father. It's a blind faith. But we trust you, Father. We put our hope in you. Because you are a God who will not fail us. Thank you, Father.
3: This is David in the wilderness when Saul was chasing him and things weren't going great. And it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the caves of Adullam. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was contented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were about 400 with him. So basically, 400 of the most messed up men in Israel gathered themselves to David, and he became their captain. So here's David, this prophetic picture of Christ, gathering these you know, distressed, confused, in-debt guys around him, and they become his army. And a few verses later, they're referred to as his army. So somehow, when David became their captain... They changed from 400 of the most messed up guys into being David's army. And later on when they list David's mighty men and men who went down into a snowy pit and killed the lion, they're talking about those 400 guys that came to David not even knowing which direction was north. And somehow with David as their captain, something came out of them that wasn't there before and they became mighty men where before they were distressed men. And Christ in the New Testament is our David. He becomes our captain. We come to him as distressed individuals and he is transforming us in a few verses. In a few verses they're called David's army. So we say that in a few verses we are Christ's army. In a few verses we are David's and Christ's mighty man. So Lord, Lord, We say in this church this morning, take this group of indebted, distressed, and confused individuals and turn us into your mighty men. Turn us into that army. Turn us into that
1: people of strength that you would have for yourself. All right, so today it's interesting because it's just funny where the service goes sometimes. Just worship and all that stuff and even a couple of the words that people were sharing with me during the service Uh, there are a couple really neat words, and we might uh, hopefully have some time to hear one of them afterwards. Uh, Because today I want to talk a little bit about finding that inner fight inside of you to push through in your faith. Interesting. We're talking about all the counseling stuff, and I mean, this entire service was really about this hope, right? That what is, what's the hope for? That it's going to get better, that things are going to change? What are we hoping for? And and I feel it it's this, you know what? I think things are going to change, but I realize that it's going to take a little bit of a fight within me to get there, too. Right? And I, I actually talked to a bunch of kids about this at schools last week. Uh, I was in I can't even remember what school but we started to talk about a little bit about this hope, right? And how, you know sometimes, w- when we think of hope, we just think, one day, if I just sit here and, and I want to get to the other side of the room, it'll just take me there. That, that's not going to happen, right? There are, there's, there's a part that we actually have to take part in it, right? If I want to get to where, there's Tarine, everybody, by the way, the, the picture, the superwoman girl right there. If I want to get to Tarine, right, okay, I just can't sit here and go, I hope I get there. Nothing happened. And get so discouraged that eventually I stop hoping for it. It doesn't work that way right? If I want to get there, I have to take my steps too. Realizing along the way that Paul could stand up and get in my way, and he could be a pretty big obstacle. And I have a decision to make at that point. Do I quit and run back and say, I'm never going to get there? Or do I try to take that guy down? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, bring it on, right? (laughs) No, I, I take this guy on. Because again, part of this is about us learning to fight through stuff. Right? It's just part of it. And I mean, Revelations, I think it's 4.11 says this, that the overcomers in heaven, these are the pillars. I absolutely love that verse. Because if you want to be a pillar in heaven, you have to overcome something. So all of a sudden, when the obstacles are in front of you, maybe we can look at them differently. Maybe we don't have to look at it as, here we go again. All the time, something bad happens. And it's only me. Has anybody had something bad happen to him? Put your hand up. Look around the room. It's not only you, okay? It's not all of us have stuff that just happens, right? It's just, unfortunately, the way life goes. But, there's always that but. He's God. He's given us that ability. He's placed it within in us. That inner fight, we're going to talk more about that at the end. Before we get there, I just want to talk about a few biblical characters. And I'm so glad Derek brought that up because, again, here's another story in the Bible, you know, of people going through adversity. I know, I know this. You guys read your Bibles, right? I mean, when we read this stuff, we realize, like, let's just grab a few of the names, and I'm going to focus on one today. But if we think about somebody like uh, Gideon, right, think of a guy like Gideon right here's a guy that's about to go into a massive battle and the lord just keeps dwindling his army down to almost like nothing i mean if i'm gideon i'm thinking this is the silliest thing i've ever been part of it's absolutely impossible but somehow here is this guy gideon who chooses to be faithful and if you haven't read the story read the story because god comes through right he doesn't tell him all this stuff like he doesn't get to see the whole picture right in the moment but he trusts that God's going to take care of it, and he keeps taking those steps forward. No choice. It doesn't seem doable, but I'm going to keep going forward because I might make it there. Well, you're going to make it there if God said it. Right? It's just the truth. And then I think of Abraham. I mean, we could preach on Abraham for hours upon hours. But the part that, uh, that stands out to me the most is I just think of when Abraham was told to bring Isaac just think of that right now as a mother or a father. called to bring your kid to an altar as a sacrifice. <laughs> Come on, right? The guy does it. The guy brings his kid. I, I just can't imagine what was going through his mind in that moment. I can't. Like, I, I, sometimes we read that story like it's, a, it's real. It happened. Put yourself in his place. I can't. I just can't do that. It's so hard to do that. And for me to say what I have brought either one of my kids at that moment, I probably would have turned around and run. There's no way. They're my kids. This guy keeps going forward trusting that God has a plan. Well, we know what happens. An angel comes and saves the day, right? And all of a sudden there's these promises given to Abraham. Why? Because he was obedient and he continued to go forward. He didn't just sit there. He didn't hide. He didn't turn around and run. He went forward, right? Then we got, this is one of my favorites. I've preached on this a lot in this church through the years, is Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorites. I mean, here is Elijah going up against the prophets of Baal, right? And I mean, there is, the to me, one of the greatest stories in the Bible of where God shows his power and his might. We all remember this story? I mean, the challenge is on. Let's see if Baal's the true God or let's see if my God's the true God. And we're going to have a fire standoff. Survivor right here, right? I mean, here it is, right in front of you. And what happens? I mean, the prophets of Baal, I mean, nothing happened. Nothing at all. Well, what happened when Elijah went over there and he dumped buckets of water and all this stuff? I mean, it's just... This stuff's impossible, but we know exactly what happens. The thing lights on fire. Who's had that, like, amazing moment with God where it's just like, I had a moment with God where it was like, I know that I know that he's God. It was a miracle. It was powerful. It was amazing. Who's, come on, let me see your hands. Who's had that moment? Okay, some of us haven't had that. You're going to have it because that's the God we serve, okay? That's just who he is. Continue to follow him follow his guidance and his leading, you're going to have that moment because situations will arise where you're going to have to trust him, and he's going to show you he's faithful, right? But think of Elijah. He has this, because you've all had these mountaintop experiences, some of you, but what does Elijah do right after it? He goes in a cave, and he hides, gets depressed, you know, what are you doing in the cave? Don't you see? Jezebel's chasing me, man. This is too hard. I can't do it. I mean, I, I, this, is, this is a tough one for me because, I mean, oh, now, I can't say I would do any better. I just can't because I don't know that, right? But again, I just think if I saw that right in front of me, wow, that's a powerful thing. I just think my faith in God would never be shut down but here's Elijah. Boom. The next form of adversity is always around the corner. I just read it. The lion is roaming around. He's looking for that inn. He's not going to quit. In fact, it gets worse. That's why he went after Elijah. Because again, this earth is ruled by the dark principalities. I mean, they are here to kill, steal, and destroy. That's their job. They're not going to stop until it ends. And it is going to end, and we get to celebrate that because we know it's going to end. But he's not going to stop. I think it, there's something in us. It's just when it gets better, then everything. Ch- I'm sorry, but when you have that next breakthrough, you get to celebrate it. You do. We should. All of us should. But you know what? Adversity's around the corner. Why? Because we're in a battle. Not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities that are always coming against us. Always, every day, even this morning before you got here. Some of you in the middle of the service, mindsets, thoughts, all this stuff. What is that? Well, it's the spirit of the Antichrist that flows around in the air, trying to deceive us, trying to lie us, trying to get us to align with it, to quit, to give up. It's too hard to bring us into that depression and all that junk that goes with it. And I hear God saying the same thing. What are you doing here? Don't you remember? I mean, if you haven't had that encounter, you haven't had that moment, go find someone who has. You need to hear it and get into your Bible because reality is this. It's going to change. Amen. It's going to change. We have to actually understand this. The hope we're talking about is this. That's the I know it is. Because I know who he is. I know that. So I'm gonna go forward. There's a bunch more people we could talk about. We could talk about Moses. And the journey to the promised land. That was really easy, right? Hmm, no. <laughs> Not so easy. This is Moses. It's pretty tough. Maybe for some of you, you, you got your promised land in front of you too. God's got something. He's got a call for each one of you. You got a promised land. But here's the reality on your way there, it's going to be just as hard. But He doesn't want us to camp in that. He doesn't want us to turn around and run to Egypt. He doesn't want us running back to the stuff that you've already done that. Why do it again? It didn't work last time. It's not going to work this time either. There's really one option. And that's that lie of the enemy. No, 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 no. Just, just sit there. Do nothing, and it's done. No, I'm not doing that. There's no way in the world I'm doing that. Neither are you. You cannot do that. We've got to keep going forward. We get to, I love talking about Peter. Right now, we're, we're hitting New Testament. But when we talk about Peter, I mean, here is a guy that's, uh, I just love Peter, but I, I think, here's the guy who denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Have you ever kind of felt like you've betrayed your faith? All right, Sorry, that's all of us. We all have betrayed our faith at one time or another in our life. Peter did it three times, right in a row. I don't know the guy. Nope, I don't know the guy. Definitely don't know the guy. And then we get to go to Acts chapter 2 and realize that our God's a pretty good God. Because even in the midst of all those moments where we betray our God, he still loves us. He still has something for us. He's still got a promise for each and every one of you. In fact, all of a sudden, Peter gets to go forward and experience those mountaintop moments where people are getting healed. I mean, he's breaking out of jail and stuff like this. I mean, stuff's going on that, wow, wow. But let's back up a bit. It wasn't always there. It was, it was in that spot before. But he kept going forward. He didn't turn around and go backwards, and he didn't go hide in his cave. And, of course, I think we have the greatest example led by Jesus. I mean, let's, was it easy for him? I don't think so. So I think, again, if for some reason there's something inside of us that says nobody can understand, I think, (laughs) you better rethink that. I mean, none of us have been thrown up on a cross. You know, none of us have gone through what he went through. I mean, flat-out betrayal. You know, none of us have gone through the, the yuckiness that he had to experience. None of us. But we have gone through hard things he understands. He knows it. Why would we go anywhere else? But we do. (laughs) We have our vices. We have our things. We have our stuff. We've allowed the culture. Again, that spirit of the Antichrist that tells you all these lies of, no, go over here. Go over here. No, just shut yourself down and watch TV. That's it. No more dreaming. Hide from the world. No one understands you. I mean, I'm not saying these things are bad, and I don't want to say that, you know, you're a terrible person for thinking. I've fought that way. But the picture I'm trying to paint is this. is We can't stay there. We can't believe those lies. We just can't. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time and uh, read. This comes out of Genesis 37. Anybody know what I'm going to talk about? Joseph. We're going to talk about Joseph today, right? Son of? Yes, that's the Joseph we're talking about. Joseph, son of Jacob. So let's go all the way to Genesis 37. Because when I read the story of Joseph, I got to be honest with you. I just love this story. And I actually find some humor within this story. Yet I see constant redemption. And I see constant faithfulness. And I constantly see a guy who kept going forward regardless of whatever was put in front of him. And I mean, this guy had a lot of stuff put in front of him. So I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to read a bit of it. Is that okay? Let's do this. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 37. But it says, so Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the history of Jacob's family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bila and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other children because Joseph had been born to him at an old age. Well, this is really nice, right? Dad loves me the best. This is a good thing. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So this is kind of bad, right? You got your dad who loves you so much, but your brothers just absolutely hate you, okay? One night Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to to hate him even more. Listening to this dream, he announced we were out in a field try, uh, tying up a bundle of grain. My bundles stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. So you are going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he had said. Then Joseph had another dream and, his bro- and told his brothers about it. Listen to this dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told his father as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What do you mean, his father asked. Will your mother, your brothers, and I actually come and bow before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered what it all meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to the pasture, to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are over in Shechem with the flock. I'm going to send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Joseph, go and see how your brothers and the flock are getting along. Jacob said, Then come back and bring me word. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from his home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. For my brothers and their flocks, Joseph replied. Have you seen them? Yes, the man told him. But they are no longer here. I heard your brothers say they were going to Dotham. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dotham and found them there. So everything seems pretty good. But when we get into verses 18 to 36, we get to see a pretty big trial that all of a sudden comes his way. So we're going to read this. It says... When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and made plans to kill him. This is great news. Get to go see my brothers, and they want to kill me. I mean, what, what are we thinking here? He com- here comes that dreamer, they exclaimed. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into a deep pit. We can tell our fathers that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll all see what becomes of all his dreams. But Reuben came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed his blood? Let's just throw him alive into the pit here. That way he will die without, uh, or having, he'll die without us having to touch him. Reuben was secretly planning to help Joseph escape, and then he would bring him back to his father. So when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his beautiful robe and threw him into the pit. The pit was normally used to store water, but it was empty at the time. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they noticed a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelites, Ishmaelite traders, taking spices, balm, and myrrh from Galilee to Egypt. Judah said to the others, what can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. Let's sell Joseph to the Ishmaelite traders. Let's not be responsible for his death. After all, he is our brother. And his brothers agreed, so when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the Ishmaelite traders took him all the way to Egypt. So then it talks a little bit about Reuben going to try to save him and finds out he's not in the pit. And as we go down just a little bit to verse 39, it says, uh, meanwhile in Egypt, the let's go back to 33, it says, uh, because they lied to his father. And it says, the, the father recognized, no, we better read it. Let's do it. I wanted to skip ahead for the sake of time, but we'll read it. Uh, So sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the pit. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in anguish and frustration. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented. The boy is gone. What can I do now? Then Joseph's brother killed a goat and dipped the robe in its blood. They took the beautiful robe to their father and asked him to identify it. We found this in the field, they told him. It's Joseph's robe, isn't it? Their father recognized it at once. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal has attacked and eaten him. Surely Joseph has been torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on the sackcloth. He mourned deeply for his son for many days. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was was of no use. I will die in the morning for my son, he would say, and then begin to weep. Meanwhile, in Egypt, the traitor sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 39, right? Because here we go, we kind of see the story here. He gets sold, and now he's bought by someone by the name of Potiphar. And when we get to 39, this is interesting because all of a sudden he's in Potiphar's house, and things start to shift a little bit again. But this is an interesting thing because it really shows us the character of Joseph, right? Because, I mean, Joseph just got sold by his brothers. I mean, what could have he had done with his mindset right there? He could have gone into full-on, I quit. Life is horrible. There's no solution. There's nothing. But yet, God had given him a promise. I mean, God had a promised land for him. He knew that. So as we read this, it says, Now when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So Joseph naturally became quite a favorite of him. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of his entire household and entrusted him with his business dealings. This is great. From the the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs began to run smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administration uh, responsibilities over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry. He didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. Now Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And about this time, Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in the entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around. When he was doing his work inside the house, she she came and grabbed him by the shirt, demanding, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but as he did, his shirt came off. She was left holding it as he ran from the house. When she saw that she had his shirt and that he had fled, she began screaming. Soon all the men around the palace came running. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to insult us, she sobbed. He tried to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard my cries, he ran and left his shirt behind with me. She kept the shirt with her, and when her husband came home that night, she told him her story. "The The Hebrew slave you have had around here tried to make a fool of me, she said. I was saved only by my screams. He ran out, leaving his shirt behind. I mean, are you getting the picture of this? Here's this faithful guy again serving his master and i mean the next he didn't bring it on even he did nothing to bring this on but it happens right is it fair no it's not fair but it happens right what is he gonna he has to go which way backwards now he still has to go forward so bear with me because i want to keep going a bit because the next thing we know he gets put in prison right i mean this is really bad now right Thrown in prison. So, after hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was found furious. He took Joseph and threw, and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there, too. And he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph... Now, listen to this, because this is just crazy. I mean, he gets thrown in jail for all this, right? But good old Joseph, here it is. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners, and over everything that had happened in prison. The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successfully. That makes sense. Lord, I would have been saying, why am I in jail? You have a promise for me? All these things you said were supposed to happen? Look where I am. Is this what you want? Oh uh, Yeah. <laughs> and I got some plans for you while you're there not knowing that maybe God is starting to make Joseph into the man he needs to be for the greater call that he has later on in life, right? We don't know exactly why God does what he does, but I can tell you this. It's for our benefit, right? It's the same reason I don't give my kids the car keys at age 10. It just doesn't make sense yet because they're going to get hurt. But there's a time when I start to release them into things because it's the right time. And sometimes we have to train him, we have to discipline. We have to do all those things. Do you love it, kids? No, not at all. You're going to do the same thing when you have kids. Because if we don't do it, what are you going to learn? It needs to happen. There's certain things that God, as a loving father, is going to train and equip us with. That's just who he is. So bear with me. I want to read a little more in this, and then we're going to skip a little bit, and I'll try to just share it so we don't have to read it all. But... I think this is worthy, and there's a funny story coming up here. Kind of funny. Uh, So we're on chapter 40, and it says Joseph interprets two dreams, right? And we know he interprets some bigger dreams later on, right? So sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker Offended him, Pharaoh became very angry with these officials. He put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and Potiphar assigned Joseph to take care of them. One night, the cupbearer and the baker each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. The next morning, Joseph noticed the de- dejected look on their faces. "'Why do you look so worried today?' he asked." And they replied, well, we both had dreams last night, but there is no one here who can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Tell me what you saw. The cupbearer told his dream first. In the dream he said, I saw a vine in front of me. It had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon there were clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed the juice into it. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. I know what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches mean three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will take you out of prison and return you to your position as chief cupbearer. bearer. And, pl- and, and please have some pity on me when you are back in his favor. Mention me to Pharaoh and ask him to let me out of here. For I was kidnapped from my homeland in the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in jail. But I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that, the first when the chief baker saw that the first dream had such a good meaning, he told his dream to Joseph too. In my dream, he said, there were three baskets of pastries on my head. In the top basket were all kinds of bakery goods for Pharaoh. But the birds came and ate them. Now this part's pretty interesting. I'll tell you what it means, Joseph told him. Gotta love Joseph, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Three baskets mean three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will cut off your head and impale your body on a pole. The bird then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. That's bad news, right? I mean, let's talk about harsh prophetic words. I mean, sometimes we're mad because of the prophetic words we get here, but I mean, this is pretty to the point. You're gonna die, so and the birds are gonna eat your eyes. So live with that one, right? I mean, maybe that will give you a little more grace for some of the prophetic words that you haven't liked. But let me tell you, that's harsh. But, of course, we come to find out that it's true. It happens. So Pharaoh's uh, birthday came three days later, uh, and he gave a banquet for all his officials and household staff. He sent for his chief, chief cupbearer and chief baker, and they were brought to him from the prison. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position. Dream came true. But he sent in the chief baker to be impaled on a pole, just as Joseph had predicted. Pharaoh's cup bearer, however, promptly forgot all that Joseph, all about Joseph, never giving any thought about him. So as we move on here, I want to touch on one here because now we get into Pharaoh's dream. And there is a moment when Pharaoh's sharing his dream. And in verse 9, it talks about then the cup bearer spoke up. Today, he was reminded of Joseph, right? And so, again, that's how all of a sudden Pharaoh makes this connection to Joseph. And we know that uh, if we fast forward a little bit here, that uh, uh, Joseph interprets a dream by Pharaoh, right? And did he have some favor with that? I'd say he had quite a lot of favor, right? Because if we flip all the way to uh, verse 37 of chapter 31, I'm only going to read a little bit here now. But it says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his advisors. As they discussed who should be appointed for the job, Pharaoh said, now Pharaoh, again, being the king, right? So we'll keep going from there. Who could do it better than Joseph? For he is a man who is obviously filled with the spirit of God. Turning to Joseph, Pharaoh said, Since God has revealed the meaning of dreams to you, you are the wisest man in the land. I hereby appoint you to direct this project. You will manage my household and organize all of my people. Only I will have a higher rank than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. What? How does that work, right? Guy just gets out of jail. Now he's in charge of the land of Egypt, right? That's just weird. Then Pharaoh placed his own, I don't know, signet ring on Joseph's finger as a symbol of his authority. He dressed him in beautiful clothing and placed the royal gold chain about his neck. Pharaoh also gave Joseph the chariot of his second-in-command, and wherever he went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Joseph was put in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am the king, but no one will move a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Wow. Right? And so if we were to flip a little later on, we know he gets reunited with his brothers, right? And it's like, "What? that's you. And so these dreams all come true. And eventually he reunites with his father who thinks he's dead. This must have been an amazing moment in his life, right? I mean, again, reading the story, I mean, it's just like, Wow. And I'm worried about what? And sometimes we have to think about that, right? Because we let the smallest things overwhelm us and get in there. But somewhere in here, we have to understand these stories, right? And see the character of Joseph and realize one of the things Joseph did, he went forward because he had a faith in God. He 100% trusted him. Whether he was in jail, wherever he was, And I mean, again, these things that happen to him are so, they're crazy. This shouldn't happen. I mean, the guy's just trying to be nice. He's doing his work. He's honoring the Lord. I think he had a lot of hope, though. I think that hope ruled his heart. Not the doubt. Not any of that other stuff. The hope. It's going to get better. It's going to change. It's going to get better because there's a promise. There is a promise. And it may not happen in five years. I mean, think of Moses' journey, right? But there is a promise. He's made promises, he is going to be faithful to fulfill them. That's the God we serve. You know, Ken said this actually in worship, too, and I wrote this down because this is about Joseph. He pressed on in his faith, he didn't allow his circumstances to dictate his action, he fought the mindsets and the attitudes. Sometimes we want to allow our circumstances to dictate our future, our present, what we're doing right now, what we can and cannot do. Our circumstances are too big, so you give all the power to your circumstance. Don't do that. Don't give your circumstance that much power. I mean, you're a son or a daughter of the Most High King, but the circumstance happens, and we give into it too quick. And God is just saying, please believe. Trust me. Go forward. Fight this. Don't believe the lie. Here's that voice again, floating through the air, deceiving you, lying to you. Don't listen to it. Don't go in that cave. Remember? Don't you remember? That's the God we serve. I think Joseph kept a kingdom mindset. Mark alluded to this last week. He ran the race. <laughs> it's a finish line. It wasn't going to stop. I think we should read that one. That's just... Turn to that real quick, Philippians 3.12. And this is Paul talking, right? And he says, you know, it's all these challenges about living that godly life and living that certain way. And then verse 12, Paul says this, right? I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing all of my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us to heaven. Again, when I read that scripture, I think, you know, do we not ever think of them? Well, we kind of have to when they're right there and they're in the center of it, right? And we have to get by it. We just do. Right? I get that. But once we get by it, we got to get by it. Right? We, we can't keep going back to it. Right? And, and I thought about this, and I thought, our past is actually not meant to be used as a weapon against us. <laughs> it's meant to be used as a weapon against the enemy. Right? In fact, our past is meant to help somebody else's present. Right? That's the truth. What do we call that? It's a testimony. I mean, we can read it. Where is it? In Revelations 12, 11. They overcame him by the power of their testimony. I mean, our, our past is there. That stuff is there for a reason. In fact, I think some of it's there for somebody else's freedom. So I'm not going to dwell on my fast and how bad it was because I have a bad past. I would encourage everybody, map out your life. I map mine out. It's pretty bad. There's some Terrible stuff that happened when I was a kid. But I am not going to sit in that place of this is just not fair in my letter. I'm not going there. You know, one of the reasons I do Heroes is because I get to talk to kids. Because I know they come from abusive families. And I get to tell them the same thing, you can get through it. Because I got through it. Right? You can. My past does not owe me more, anymore. In fact, I'm using it as a weapon against the enemy. Because these other kids are going to get free. There's people in this room that get free of that stuff today, right? We don't have to camp in it. We don't have to live in it. It does not own you. That circumstance does not own you. In fact, you can break free today because that's the God we serve.
0: So one of the mindsets that I feel the Lord's wanting me to just put my finger on and break down right now is you know even when Paul writes, um, not that I consider I've achieved it. There's not a caveat there that says in 60 years. We have this idea in our culture that if God gives you a promise, you better make the best of it in a, in at least 60 years. Because by the time you're 60, you should just start dying. And I'm not trying. I'm not even trying to be funny. Isn't this isn't this what our culture teaches us? You know, if God's given you a promise, the promise is. Uh, hinging on how well you do on a worldly timeline. That's garbage. God doesn't care about our culture's idea of what a good timeline is. God has promises for people that he's waiting till they turn 50 to speak to them. You know, some of us are fortunate and God's blasted us with something like Joseph. You know, at seven years old or however old, God gave him something that, was, that he was able to hold on to. There's, there's that feeling in us where God gives you that word and you just know. In my own life, I felt like I was fortunate enough to have God give me something very young. However, God gives you something very young and then you almost die and your brothers sell you and then you're totally put in jail. Like, right? You kind of get what you get for what he gives you when, when he gives it. But I want to speak specifically to what our culture teaches us about okay, well, if you didn't get that at seven years old, and nothing's happened in your forty, you know that ticker, that timer that we feel is going on. Oh, ten more years to really make something of that. Oh, and then you're fifty. Oh, I guess, I guess I'm fifty. And you know when Chris is talking about this, well, he's in his forties, so he's still got eight good years. It's garbage. It's it. Not that I mean not that, not that you haven't achieved it. But it's garbage, and I feel like the Lord's wanting me to just speak to that lie. That is that is not from the throne room of God. That is not from the mind of God. God's promises are not contingent on this world's timeline. God's promises are contingent on him and him alone. And so I feel the Lord saying, now there's some of us that have gotten that word where it's in there. There's others that he put it in, from when we were conceived but it's coming and actually some of you have already felt it but even when you felt the word in you you thought yeah but i'm 45 i mean you know what am what am i going to do here i'm sure there's stories in the bible about people that god grabbed way later in life that used them powerfully but for a window of time but for a season if it's not really about us he doesn't care what age you are and what you can or can't do. If anything, it's probably a lot easier when you're older because he's like, "I just know I can use you." We think we got so much going on when we're younger. So, and you know, with those promises, what is it that we think we're achieving? Is it a great career? Like, it, it does. Did God promise Joseph that people would bow down to him? so that he like do you think in that moment when his his brothers and father finally like it chokes me up every time i read that story do you think in that moment when they all came to him and bowed down to him that he like pridefully was like oh yeah finally my dream no he was broken he was humbled the last thing he would have ever actually wanted in that moment was for his father who thinks he's dead to not know that that's his son right like like god gives us the dream god gives us that thing just so that we'll keep going forward it actually usually never looks like what we think it does in its full fruition state he just gives it to us in that moment so that we will carry on so that not that i've attained it but that i just continue to move forward So I want to declare over this body, I want to declare over any human being in this region, Edmonton, Sherwood Park, St. Albert, Spruce Grove, Beaumont, over this body here, we will not allow God's timeline and his promises to be dictated by a worldly structure that is not in line with the promise and the faithfulness of God. And we declare that there are open doors that are meant to be opened and they will be opened right now. And there are promises meant to be filled at 89 years old and there are promises meant to be whispered at 76 years old and God's timing is perfect and right for every single individual that's alive here in this time and we will no longer be held by cultural restraints that don't honor the will and the timeline of the God that we love and serve and I declare that in the name of Jesus we will be free from that and we will walk in the hope and the fulfillness that it's not that we have a good career it's not that the brothers would bow down before us and we have our moment it's that goodness and Mercy would surely follow us all of the days of our life, and that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that's what Paul was going after. When he says, not that I've achieved that, I am going towards the call that Christ has. It's not a great job and a career. It's not your brothers bowing down before you. It is that you are dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, that you come to a place that there is no arrival point, but that you're in him. And that is the thing. That is the moment we're trying to achieve. Oh, so bless you, Lord, and bless you guys.
1: Is one, the thing I valued about... Joseph was that in jail, he chose to go forward. In fact, he didn't just go forward. He chose to influence every single person around him where he got favor. So if your work is jail to you right now, if your environment is jail to you right now, you got to take your focus off that, right? And honestly, trust that the Lord has you in a place for a reason. And I believe part of our testing and our journey is God's waiting for us to get the right heart wherever we are that we can just truly honor him in that environment, that we can obey him and serve him to the fullest and influence the very people that are already around you. You don't have to worry about the advancement. God's already taken care of that. It's like what he said, leave the timing alone because some of you are so fixated on that that you're not going forward. God takes care of that part. We don't even have to worry about it, in fact, right? All you have to do is go forward with where you're at, Be the light with where you're at. That's it. But we don't get to go back to Egypt. And we're not going to stop. And we're not going to hide. In fact, we're going to start to celebrate our faith again because of who Jesus is. Do you have hope? Father, you are the God of hope. And this morning, I pray that you would just begin to pour hope into your people. God, hope that all those dreams are going to come true. Hope that their current circumstance will change. But God, that you won't stop there. That you will also show us how we actually get to be part of those circumstances. Changing. That we get to be part of that. That we get to choose to honor and be faithful to you. And whatever you've called us to do in the moment. And that's part of the solution. Of changing those environments. And the things that are hard. And the season's so rough. We get to be part of this with you. We get to go forward with you. And so, Father, may we just... Be in relationship with you. May we pursue you and listen to you and trust you. And, Father, where some of us, I just feel it, where there's a bit of quitting us, not anymore. Not anymore. In fact, I'm going to get up today, and I'm going to start going forward in my faith again. And I just declare that over all of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up in your faith and start to walk forward. Stop dwelling on the past now. And let's go forward in our faith. Be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ.